0: You're listening to McKinsey's Future of America podcast, featuring conversations inspired by a new era of sustainable and inclusive growth.
1: Welcome to the 12th episode of McKinsey's Future of America podcast, where we'll explore how we can build a future that drives sustainable and inclusive growth. I'm your host for today, Andre Dua. I'm a senior partner with McKinsey and the managing partner of our Miami office. Today, I'm joined by Chris Jackson and Mallory Newell. Chris is a Senior Vice President for Ipsos. His research specialties include public opinion trends, election polling, strategic communications, and reputation. Mallory is also a Vice President for Ipsos, where she specializes in issues-based research, examining public opinion trends, and designing surveys for public consumption. Chris and Mallory, welcome, and thanks for being here today. It's great to be with you. Glad to be here. Great. Well, listen, before we jump in, can you tell listeners a little about each of your backgrounds?
0: Sure. Happy to. I have been at Ipsos for the past five years, uh, working closely with my partner in crime, Chris. Um, As you mentioned, we do a lot of public facing polling here in the U.S. Uh, Prior to that, I kind of cut my teeth in research in political polling. And I am currently based in Washington, D.C.,
2: I'm Chris Jackson. I have been doing research for about two decades. Uh, I, currently lead our public opinion research practice here in the United States. And Ipsos is part of a a large global company. So I'm also on the global committee that oversees a lot of our work that crosses borders. But our real mission is about sort of elevating the voice of the people about sort of helping bring what regular folks care about what they're concerned about into the discourse into the debate so that they're heard in addition to sort of all the experts and pundits and talking heads out there.
1: Great. Well, that's Chris and Mallory. Great segue to where I'd like to take the conversation. Uh, Speaking of how regular Americans feel, let's start by talking a little bit about the work that we, McKinsey, do together with Ipsos on the American Opportunity Survey, which, as you both know, but for the benefit of our audience, is a survey of 25,000 Americans where we explore their attitude toward economic opportunity and inclusion, their economic well-being, and some of the key barriers they face in the workforce. And look, I think this is an especially important topic right now with so much conversation around the potential for a recession, the impact of inflation, um, employment opportunities, and more. So maybe with that, let me start, Mallory, by asking you, how do you think Americans feel about their economic opportunity right now?
0: Andre, I think that's a really important question for this moment. You know, one of the key findings of this most recent survey in a word was was pessimism about accelerating inflation, about rising gas prices, and at the time that we fielded this survey, the conflict in Ukraine was really ramping up. And and I think kind of tying that all together, you know, this survey touches on sort of this this overarching concept of the American dream and if it is attainable for people and and what we're seeing now more so than last year is that for many access to opportunity is out of reach.
1: Right. What do you think is driving that feeling that the dream is perhaps slipping away?
0: You know, I think for many people, it really is about inflation, kind of setting aside sort of the official numbers about unemployment. You know, unemployment is relatively low right now. Um, There's a lot of hiring going on, but people are really focused on the pocketbook, or you know, the the kitchen table issues, and I think that's what's really driving it. They're having to spend more on essentials. There's sort of less to go around, and you know, this is all really starting to weigh on people. And and more people than last year believe that the country as a whole is is doing a poor job of providing opportunities for people. I think because of those pain points that they're feeling from an economic perspective.
2: But there is also a little bit of a self fulfilling prophecy in some of the. These things where people hear negative economic news, negative economic information, and that feeds into their outlook. Uh, we've seen a, a lot of places where people's view of the economy is driven by non-economic factors. One of the ones that's been given a lot of coverage recently is politics, um, where your political persuasion, who's in power in Washington has a huge impact, even if your actual pocketbook, your job, everything else are the Mm. same. um, Mm -hmm. Those changes have a huge impact. So there's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B driving it.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about inflation, because it does seem the topic of the moment. How do you think inflation is weighing on Americans right now?
0: Well, one thing that I think this research illustrates is, is that there's actually a lot of common ground in this diminished optimism, right? When you compare these findings to sort of where people were at last year it's sort of across the board that the mood has just dampened a little bit. But, you know, some people are feeling it more acutely. We see that that women and trans or non-binary people are feeling this more than men, people who live outside of urban areas, um, non-college educated people. And so I think one thing for me that really stands out Again, going back to what I said earlier is that, you know, when we're in a time period of people having to spend more on the essentials, if you've got less money to go around to begin with, or if you're sort of up against a greater struggle to begin with, then this is just sort of a compounding factor and even more strain, you know, and, and like Chris said, I think there's a lot of external factors at play here. But at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, money coming in versus money going out.
1: You know, and I think, Chris, you did also, I think, say something that I've been thinking about a lot, which is you've got actually a range of economic factors which still look pretty good. The savings of Americans are at among their highest point. Unemployment is near historic lows. Wage growth is pretty substantial, actually more so for people in lower income categories. And in some of those categories, it's outstripping inflation. And yet, I think, Mallory, as you say, nevertheless, overall sentiment is down. Um, and I think, Mallory, you mentioned also, you began to talk a little bit about difference in sentiment across demographic groups. I'd like to dive into that a little bit. You mentioned in particular women and uh, people of trans uh, background, can you talk a little bit more about some of the differences you're seeing in demographic groups?
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, you all coined it really well in the report. This is, this is a tale of two economies, despite those positive things that are happening for some people they're they're just not seeing it they're not feeling it and when you look across demographic groups you know what we're seeing is like i said sort of the outlook overall has gotten a little bit more negative compared to last year but but folks who are really driving it are sort of the middle age kind of middle generations, right? Older millennials, Gen Xers, more so than younger people. You touched on gender already. You know, the, the diminished optimism or decreased optimism is really felt particularly, I think, by women. And that goes for both white women and women of color. But then also... People that live in rural areas. That's one area where we've really seen, compared to our previous survey results, a pretty significant decline in their optimism about the future of America and opportunity for them.
2: And rural residents, I think, are hit hard in a number of ways, but principally by fuel prices, by gas prices. You know, if you live in a rural area where you have to put a lot of miles uh, underneath you to get anywhere, uh, high gas prices sort of have an outsized impact than if you live in a city and you can actually walk to accomplish a lot of what you need to do in your day-to-day life. So, you know, in addition to not having a lot of opportunities in rural areas, high gas prices sort of double down on some of the pain they're feeling.
1: Yeah. Chris, speaking of gas prices, I was going to ask both of you what are the factors that are really contributing to Americans' outlook? And there always seem to be a few things which maybe occupy an outsized role in setting mm-hmm. of sentiment and historically Americans, that's been gas prices. And there certainly has been a significant public discussion about gas prices around July 4 and all of that kind of thing. So I'm curious, as you step back from this, what do you both see are the contributing factors that you think is influencing Americans' view that the, the dream is perhaps slipping away or that there's less economic opportunity for them and their fellow Americans?
2: I think that's a great question. I think it's a multi-part answer. Um, Gas prices always have a huge impact on people's outlook on the economy, and I think it's outsized beyond sort of the actual impact on their budget. Right? Your typical household spends a hundred something dollars a month on gasoline versus you know fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred on rent, several hundred on food. Um, But I think with gas prices, because you see those numbers when you fill up your car, right? Every every week, every couple of days, you go fill up your car, you see how much it costs you see those numbers ticking up. The changes are real in a way that other changes are not. You can sort of see it uh, change, move up or down those prices uh, in a way that you know your rent maybe goes up or down every six months or every year, your mortgage less frequently, even, um, you know, that may have a bigger impact, but are just less in your face. Uh, And then food prices, our survey found that food and gas were the two things that were really driving people's increased spending. So, you know, it's groceries, things like that, which, you know, all data suggests are the two factors that have been driving, uh, driving sort of the inflationary pressures for for Americans. The other question about sort of the American dream is, I think, a bigger and a more complicated one, because we have data that Ipsos has done, you know, going back, over the last decades, showing that Americans were actually relatively pessimistic about the ability to achieve the American dream, even before the pandemic and this, you know, current inflationary period. So I think that sort of speaks to a larger challenge we're facing as a society, Mm -hmm. giving people sort of those opportunities, uh, opportunities to sort of, you know, accomplish a dream, live up to the American dream.
1: Mallory, is there anything you would add to that?
0: Well, I think there's a couple of other things at play that Chris started to allude to at the end, which is that we are living in a society right now that is highly polarised, um, that's not necessarily a new finding, right? That's not something that happened overnight. But yeah. it is a highly polarized society where people are sort of becoming more and more entrenched on you know, either side of the political aisle or sort of, sort of in their own affinity or identity groups. And, you know, we're coming out of two and a half years of a pandemic and of increased social isolation where you are not able to sort of make those connections with other people around you. And when you take this feeling of isolation and when you take these feelings of polarization and then you compound that with, you know, paying more at the gas pump, paying more for groceries, it's just, I think some of those, you know, pain points that are really visible for people when they're already sort of feeling like the world is maybe a tough place to begin with. Yeah. um, They kind of become compounding factors, right?
1: Well, let me ask you those, because you've seen this movie play out because of your research over a number of years. I'm curious, is there anything in the most recent findings from the opportunity survey that surprised you or what was most surprising?
2: I am always struck by the disconnect between how people sort of talk about their actual personal conditions in any given moment in time and their sort of broader outlook. Because this is this is the thing is most people actually report that they're feeling pretty okay about their lives, their positions, their livelihoods, their opportunity. Even even while they say that the country or the world is going down the tubes, um, there is this. And it's not new. This is certainly something that's been happening for a while. But there is this constantly fascinating mismatch between people who are actually pretty happy with what's going on in their personal lives and just deeply, deeply unhappy with the direction of the world.
0: And I think one thing for me that is particularly striking, um, and maybe it's just because it hits close to home, but, uh, some of the questions around mental health in our survey, we see that nearly three in five respondents that have kids in the house. So children under 18 at home say that their mental health affected their ability to perform their work effectively. And so there is so much of this conversation right now, both in the survey and just in the public writ large about the economy and about inflation and about this level of pessimism but i think it's important to remember that you know it wasn't too long ago that it was covid-19 that was sort of you know the big elephant in the room and kind of that single issue that americans were focused on and i think we are seeing the lingering of sex here both in terms of how mental health might be a little bit diminished, but also, you know, if you want to put a more positive spin on it, maybe how we're talking about it more now and how our mental health affects how we show up at work and how we show up in our daily lives.
1: Yeah. Mallory, I share that view that it was really shocking to me, the breadth of the Sentiment around mental health issues, and it really made me feel like we're truly uh, in the middle of a mental health crisis in America, which is impacting people's ability to perform in work as well. One of the things I think it's worth briefly touching on is we did survey 25,000 Americans here. One of the things that people have been talking about a lot is uh, the ability of people who do polling to uh, create representative samples. You know, this obviously plays more on the political side, where it's been harder to accurately predict people's voting sentiment. But can you talk a little bit about what Ipsos does and did do in this case to ensure a diverse uh, sample that provides a representative cross-section of America?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know that that political horse race polling is just one facet of, of what we do as researchers. Um, that's one of the reasons why I love surveys like this so much is because you're really doing a deep dive into the issues at hand for the American public and what's important to them outside of the political sphere. But what we did in this survey is, you know, 25,000 is a, really significant number of interviews. So obviously, we work to make sure that we put quotas in place on census data. So that's, you know, your gender, age, region, race and ethnicity to make sure that we get a really good cross section of the American public and that this survey looks like how the country looks. Um, but we also did some oversampling or some boost interviews in major metro areas around the US, which allows us to not only look at Americans as a whole, but also to look at people in different areas and different cities across the country to provide a really rich, um, picture of, of what Americans look like and of what people in different areas of the country are really feeling right now. Yeah.
2: So it allowed us to, for instance, talk about the country as a whole, but then also look at how opportunity may be different for people living in the Washington DC metro area where Mallory and I are versus the Miami metro area where you are. But, um, you know, cause there are so many local conditions that drive these things and, and this big survey, uh, with these you know, these big samples in cities helped us do that.
1: And of course, one interesting finding there is that the most optimistic Americans of all happen to be those in Washington, D.C. But we'll leave that for another podcast.
2: Well, D.C. is famously recession-proof. So, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, there's probably some reasons for that uh, that are best suited in a different podcast.
1: Yeah. Well, Chris, um, in addition to the American Opportunity Survey, Ipsos also surveys Americans in its monthly What Worries the World survey, which is done twice a year across more than 25 countries. And I think those surveys also find that Americans' optimism has significantly declined. And just 15% of Americans say they have more economic opportunities now than 12 months ago. What more are you seeing in these surveys? And how do the views of Americans differ, if at all, from those of? citizens elsewhere around the world where you're conducting surveys?
2: Yeah. So uh, of the many pieces of research we do, one is this monthly global advisor survey that we do in 26, 27 countries around the world, uh, of which every six months, a-, a wave is dedicated to this What Worries the World survey that we've been running for about a decade now, uh, where we ask people what their main issues are, what their main concerns are. Uh, and we found, like you just talked about, that Americans are uh, certainly on the downturn with their their views of the world, their pessimism. But we're not unique in that regard. Really, we're seeing that same phenomenon playing out pretty much everywhere around the world particularly sort of Europe, the industrialized democracies that are sort of closest to us in terms of the positions or the economic cycle. So while the United States is oftentimes very unique in its outlook and its behavior in this regard, we're actually feeling some of the same pains as everyone else, um, including, you know, our our friends in Europe, even our friends in in Asia and and, uh, Africa.
1: Right. Well, that's maybe a good stop to take a quick break before we dive into our next segment. We're back from our break. Thanks, Chris and Mallory. We've had a good chance to talk about how Americans are feeling, some of the issues like inflation, the mental health crisis, and so on. I now want to maybe start looking forward. And I'd like to start by asking you both, what do you think, reflecting on this survey, are some of the issues to watch going forward?
2: Yeah, great question. I mean, I think there's there's so many things going on right now. There's so much change right now that there's a lot of trends to watch out for. But one of the things I think that we're interested in that the survey sort of really highlights is how and where we work, particularly sort of moving forward, because there's this huge appetite in the American public, the American workforce for things like remote work or hybrid work or the ability to sort of have a little bit more control about where they spend their day that I think is not necessarily going to be something that's going to go away now that the pandemic's kind of sort of over, but is becoming sort of the new normal. But we just don't know exactly where normal is going to settle down.
0: Yeah, we're, we're in this really transformational period. I think employers that want to retain their employees, I think, are forced to look at things from a, a more holistic lens. Right. Um, Before the break, we talked a lot about mental health in the workplace and the bigger conversation about the impact of your mental health on your daily life. But, you know, I think it, it feeds into here, too. Right. Like per Chris's point how we work and where we work, but also what the workplace looks like and and the tangibles, you know, good pay, hours, et cetera. Those are certainly important. Those aren't going anywhere. But I guess some of the more intangibles, right? How workers are feeling, the, the soft benefits of flexibility on where you work and when you work, you know, those are critical too. And And there is this sort of shift of power balance, I think, between employers and employees right now, where because there are so many, you know, companies that are hiring and employees are looking to make a move that best suits them, you really need to focus on some of those intangibles, you know, just beyond the money to attract and retain employees.
1: You know, I'm glad you brought up this topic of remote work. I was really struck by the extent to which this seems to be becoming a feature of the economy. And it was remarkable to me that 58% of the people we surveyed, which if you extrapolate, means 92 million Americans report having the option to work from home full-time or at least part-time. That's 92 million people. That's really significant. And of those people, if you take them in aggregate, they're working on average about three days a week from home. So that's a really significant change. As it relates to remote work, are there any differences you saw among different groups or types of workers that you think are noteworthy?
2: Well, one of the interesting things from this data is that everyone's interested in it. It doesn't really matter sort of the type of work you have, people are interested in it. And I think some of that relates back to some of the issues we were talking about in the first block, things like inflation and gas prices. Working from home is a great way to avoid paying more in gas, right? But there are some... interesting patterns in sort of who's more interested or or taking advantage of remote work more, um, knowledge economy, people, people working knowledge economy jobs, people who live in cities and, uh, men actually right now are actually slightly more likely than women to, to be taking advantage of some of these things. So, you know, I think some of that's about sort of the, who has the opportunity, right? Like, uh, if you're doing a service job where you have to be in person to do that service or construction, things like that, there's sort of limited limits in how much remote that can be. But, uh, but yeah, it is uh, It is something that everyone's kind of interested in right now.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. A couple of things you mentioned there, Chris. I was struck by this difference between more women than men would like remote work, but more men than women have the opportunity to work remotely. So I thought that was very interesting. And another very interesting thing, I think, Mallory, is the thing you alluded to, which is how high up on the list of criteria for jobs or job changes remote work has become maybe you could say a little bit more about that
0: absolutely our our survey really clearly shows that job seekers truly value this autonomy over not only where they work but when they work you know the the most common rationale for a job hunt was a desire for greater pay or more hours and then a search for better opportunities. But the third most popular reason was looking for a flexible work arrangement. So that's working from home, the ability to bring a child to work with you. And, and there you sort of see that, that reverse gender gap where women are actually a little bit more likely than men to report a flexible working arrangement as a reason to seek a new job.
1: Interesting. Well, I'd like to maybe pivot to the thing that a lot of people are either thinking about or worrying about now, which is the potential for a coming recession or a downturn. And I'm curious to get your perspective. Chris, you started alluding to this before, which is perception can create its own reality. Um, So I'd like to maybe build on that thought, but also start talking a little bit about what are the potential features of this downturn and how it differs from our last significant downturn, which, of course, was the financial crisis in 2008
2: and Yeah. So the American economy is a weird creature. Uh, people sort of think of it as this big thing that's train yards and factories and everything else. But the biggest piece of the American economy is consumer spending, which means it's susceptible to sort of what's happening in consumers' minds, right? If they decide they don't want to spend anymore, all of a sudden we see an economic downturn. So there definitely is almost a psychological aspect of what's going on with the economy. But this year is a little bit different than our last major economic downturn, the Great Recession uh, 2008-2009 that came after the uh, fallout with the housing market. In that period, people were very, very concerned about jobs and employment. That was what people's focus was on. Unemployment did go up significantly. I think it peaked around 10% uh, at sort of the worst point uh, in the Great Recession. Uh, and, And inflation was never an issue costs things like that there's you know cost of living of course if you didn't have a job but for everyone else that was not a big a big concern and that's a bit flipped now where people are not really worried about their jobs or their economic their job security, but they're much more concerned about their ability to afford their household goods, pay their basic living expenses, things like that because it's this different period uh, And what that sort of suggests is that in the Great Recession there was a smaller group of people that were impacted much more strongly people who lost their jobs, and then all the people who, who lost money in the market from the, the, the crash. But this time, the pain is being felt much more widely because how everyone's paying for increased prices, even as no single group, maybe outside crypto, is feeling sort of extra strong personal sort of damage to the market, due to the market.
1: So the last thing I wanted to ask you was, based on all the research that you've conducted and all the work you're doing, What are the important issues that we're not talking about in the public arena enough, but that Americans are deeply concerned about?
0: I mean, I think it it is being talked about what but one thing that continues to sort of percolate is crime and safety, right? How safe you feel in your community and a sense of security around that as well. So it goes It goes beyond economic security. And I think people, you know, again, kind of going back to my comments earlier about how polarized we can be as a society, um, people are approaching the issue of public safety a little bit from a different lens. But it is something, of course, with increased gun violence and mass shootings as of late, that I think remains top of mind. And, you know, for me, ultimately, as, as we get closer to in november right we're a couple months out for me i'm just going to be watching you know we know that the economy and inflation is is the issue of the day right now and will that trend hold or will there be other issues like safety like healthcare or abortion that sort of creep into the public consciousness and is that enough to make a difference or is it going to be something similar to what we saw in 2020 where it was really a single issue that defined the moment. Then it was COVID. Now, is it going to be the economy?
1: Chris?
2: Yeah, I think inflation definitely is sort of the big thing. It's the elephant that's very clearly in the room. It's the dominant issue in just about every survey we do right now. The question is, if inflation comes down, what fills that space? I think there's a lot of potential issues out there. Climate change uh, and sustainability is definitely something that we've seen increasing in importance every year. And it's still a second tier issue for the American public. It's not dominant like Inflation, or healthcare, or, or the pandemic was uh, two years ago, but it, it it just ever so slowly, much like the the global temperature is ever so slowly going up, as a, mm. as a major issue. Um, crime and public safety, huge concern. That's more of a perennial thing. People have always been concerned about crime and public safety. Uh, But I also think one of the other issues that is increasingly dominant in sort of the American psyche is sort of partisanship, political division, social division, even people feel like the country is very divided right now. uh, And I think that's actually feeding into some of the problems we're seeing. in the economic climate is that people are reading that angst from the political division, into their views of the economy, which I think are making those views a little bit more pessimistic.
1: Yeah. And perhaps let me add one, and I'm going to put them under the broad category of health-related issues. I think there are what's coming through in this survey of 25,000 Americans is the Mallory, as you said, the extent to which mental health has reached really significant proportions. I would say related to that, the survey also says a lot about the number of people who feel their physical health is impacting their ability to work to their full potential. Thirdly, it's also very clear that childcare remains a significant barrier, particularly to women's participation in the workforce. And lastly, it's almost that we've talked about this for so long that people have forgotten it, but the survey does remind us that the number one issue that Americans say is a barrier to their economic opportunity, is access to healthcare and health insurance. So even though that's been part of the policy dialogue for 20 or 30 years, Americans are telling us this is still the biggest barrier to me personally accessing economic opportunity.
2: Yeah, fantastic point. There's definitely this sort of achieving the american dream thing people feel is harder to obtain and that's definitely a big piece of of the barrier people see is that risk out there of, of some catastrophic health care and health expense
1: yeah well maybe with that let's take a quick break before we come back to our rapid fire q a to end our podcast We're back from our break and we're talking to Chris Jackson and Mallory Newell from Ipsos. Chris and Mallory, thanks for sharing your insights with us today. And we're going to wrap up our future America episode as we always do with some rapid fire Q and A. And Mallory, I'm going to ask you just a couple questions first. Is there a book or article that you've recently read that excites you as we've think about how to create a more sustainable and inclusive future for Americans?
0: Oh, that's an interesting question. Perhaps excite isn't the right word, but one thing that I've really um, been fascinated by recently is the impact of climate change, specifically on migration patterns in the U.S. Um, i I am a native Michigander. And so um, I read something recently about the the Great Lakes region or the upper Midwest actually becoming a potential destination for climb migrants is an article that the, or one of the articles that I read is the word that they used. Um, people who are moving from the deep South or from the West areas that are prone to droughts, moving to areas in Michigan and Ohio. And I think that's just a bigger trend that really interests me is like, how is climate change going to actually shift demographic and regional patterns and population patterns in this country, both in the near and far term?
1: And maybe, Mallory, one last question for you. What makes you optimistic that we can achieve a more sustainable and inclusive future for Americans?
0: I love it. Ending on a positive note. Uh, You know, I'm going to hearken back to my comments on mental health, and and I feel the same about sustainability, right? I feel that we are in a time period where people are just talking about it more. The dialogue is happening, and you know, particularly when you look at younger generations, Gen Z younger millennials, sustainability and climate change are certainly a focus for them. And so that gives me hope, right, that that it's becoming part of the consciousness and that younger folks are looking to carry that torch to hopefully, you know, save our world from catastrophe.
1: Chris, I'm going to turn to you and ask you the same questions. Is there a book or article that you've recently read that You found interesting in terms of this broader topic of creating a more sustainable and inclusive future.
2: Yeah, I mean, I as a public pollster, I'm supposed to sort of have at least some awareness of everything at any given point in time. So I read a lot. I think a book that I read recently that I, I did find really interesting and positive was Bill Gates' recent uh, book on uh, avoiding a climate catastrophe. I don't think that's the exact title, but uh, it's something like that, um, which had like some very real, you know, some real talk about what's going on with the broader thing with climate change, but some very real steps that can be taken that are sort of achievable to prevent the worst of it so so i thought that was that was a good book uh, that had some 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 good useful not totally dire
1: uh forecasts of the world thanks so my last question is what makes you optimistic that we can achieve a more sustainable and inclusive future
2: so, again, I'm a public pollster. I spend my day asking questions of the American public. The stuff that tends to get the most attention is the inflammatory stuff. you know, it's the the things where somebody believes something crazy. Uh, there's some huge difference between groups. Uh, but the truth is, in question after question after question, we ask particularly when you start to take out some of the more charged language, some of the buzzwords, some of the sort of the political labels, you actually see most Americans are on the same page about just a whole host of issues. There's so much commonality in the society that gets lost Uh, because, you know, it's not as sexy for for sort of the conversation and the day to day. But it does give me a lot of hope that there is a fundamental basis of commonality we have as Americans that we can build on and and make a better future.
1: Thank you, Chris and Mallory. That was Chris Jackson, Senior Vice President for Ipsos, and Mallory Newell, Vice President for Ipsos. I'm Andre Dewar. You've been listening to McKinsey's Future of America podcast series. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for listening to the Future of America podcast. We're thrilled you're joining us as we explore the journey toward a more sustainable and inclusive and growing economy. Be sure to subscribe to the Future of America podcast on whichever platform you use and check out our insights and research on these topics at mckinseycom slash future of America. Thanks for being a part of the future of America.